Good morning, good morning. How are we doing? Are we awake this morning? Did we sleep well last night? Hopefully we did. It's great to be here. Thank you for this opportunity of sharing God's word with you this morning. If you're here for the first time, be it here in the worship center or watching online, we thank you for coming and being with us. I'm Pastor David, one of the pastors here on staff of this fabulous church, West Cabarrus Church. Are we alive? Amen. Yes, fabulous church, West Cabarrus Church. I am the Assimilation and Missions Pastor. Um, we have been blessed to serve this family, and thank you for being here this morning. Um, and it's a joy to be able to share with you, as I stated before. We continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel. And um, this uh, series that uh, was started, Prophets, Priests, and Kings, um, has been fabulous. To see this, the history and the story of the people of Israel and we know that the book of 1 Samuel highlights three important characters in the history of Israel. One is Samuel, and Ryan has done a great job in going through the life of Samuel, uh, through the passages of the first chapters in 1 Samuel. Um, today we're going to hear about another character. His name was Saul, uh, a little bit. In the weeks to come, you'll hear a little bit more about him. Uh, and then we finish with the life of David. And um, God is good to give us his word and to be able to open this book and to listen to his warnings. So if you have a copy of God's word, please open to 1 Samuel chapter 8 this morning. If you don't have one, uh, look to the person next to you. If you need a Bible, we've got Bibles here in the Welcome Center. We would love to give you a copy so you can take home. Um, but we're going to start reading in 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 4, we're going to go down to verse 10, and then um, start again in verse 18 through verse 22. And this is what God tells us this morning. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have, rejected, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, e even to this day, forsaken me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them. And show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Verse 18. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no. But there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. Let us pray this morning. Father, we come to you as a people in need of you and your presence. Lord, I pray that you may speak to us. Pray for those who do not know you. 
that this morning through your word, through the power of your spirit, you may grow, demonstrate the need that all of us have of you. Bring salvation this morning. And to us that um, desire to be your disciples, your followers, to us who are your children, we ask you, God, to speak to us. Allow us to learn from you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This week as a family, it's a special week. Tomorrow, my wife, Fernanda, is being sworn in as a U.S. citizen. Yes. Can we celebrate? Yes. Yes. And so I am ecstatic, not only because she's going to become a U.S. citizen, but also because the hundred questions of American history and American structure is over. Thank you. There were months, years of going through those questions. I think Fernanda knows more American history than I do. Um, so you can pray for her tomorrow. Actually, tomorrow night as well, we're going to have a uh, passport, Argentine passport burning. Uh, no, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, no, no. Vamos Argentina, vamos Argentina. Um, now, of course, we know a lot about our American history. But I don't know if you knew that many of the colonists truly wanted to make George Washington, Washington a king. George Washington, the first president of the United States, they wanted him to become a king, but he refused. He answered this call for many reason, reasons. But ultimately, he told them, quote, we fought to abolish a monarchy. We did not fight to begin a new one. This truly did not happen. George Washington becoming king because George and many of the colonists believed that there was only one king and it was not King George III. On April 22nd, 1774, before the Revolutionary War, a report was sent to King George III of England and in it, the governor of Boston ex exclaimed, if you ask an American who is his master, he will tell you he has none, nor any governor but Jesus Christ. In April 1775, when a British major called the colonists villains and told them to, quote, lay down your arms in the name of George, the sovereign king of England, immediately their response was, quote, we recognize no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. This became the battle cry and motto of the Revolutionary War. No king but King Jesus. Now, the truth is that this might have motivated the colonists at that time to acquire their physical liberty. But as we look at our lives on the inside, there is an overwhelming need we have for a king. We tend to decide in allowing anything else to reign our lives other than the true king, the only king, Jesus Christ. And friends, this was Israel's problem. Our need of seeing, touching, holding something that can give us security or safety is the problem. We want God, but we want him our way. I imagine if I would ask everyone this morning, if you want God to be completely out of your life, you would probably say, no, no way. But the truth of the matter is that we want what God can only do for us. But we think in no way should he take over our lives or be king of it. 
We enjoy the benefits we might receive from God, security, protection, happiness, but we do not want him to make us trust and depend completely in him. This was the people of Israel's emblem in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Give us a king. I imagine if they had to use a logo or something to use uh, during our time, this is what they would probably use, right? They're stickers and banners and flags. Give us a king. This was the heart of the people at this moment. Give us what we can see with our own eyes. Give us what we can palpate and control so that we can feel better about ourselves and to somehow help us perceive that there's hope. Dear friend, this morning, God wants to be your king. God wants to be our king. And this was the desire that he had for his people, Israel, in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now, the question I ask all of us this morning is what is it that you are placing your full dependence or trust on? Is it a job? Is it your possessions, your talents, a political figure, your own definition of happiness and security? What is it? Now, as we look at Scripture, we find that Moses forewarns the people that a king would come one day to the life of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14 and 15, we we hear these words, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. The Lord your God will choose. So the the people's asking for a king because of what God confirmed through Moses in this passage was not the problem. The problem was wanting to make it happen in their own way and their way only. You see, God was supposed to be their real king. But the people decided to emulate pagan nations as how they should be led and how someone had to completely steer their lives. Now, because of this attitude, they would pay high consequences. And we always do. The people of Israel found themselves in a predicament. Samuel was old. I imagine he couldn't walk as quickly as he did in the past. I imagine he was a little slower in making decisions. So obviously the the people said, we need a change. His sons were a mess. The, the, The idea of Samuel's succession did not work, which led the people to have to decide, provoke by themselves a regime change or trust completely on the Lord's governing over their lives and people. Sadly, they chose to be like the other nations and confided in a human leader that would ultimately stray them to a way of perdition. I love what Proverbs 16, verse 2 says. It says, all the ways of men are pure in their own eyes, but God weighs the spirit. The principle of this verse here in Proverbs speaks clearly on our problem. You see, everything we plan, everything we decide, everything we think is beneficial for me, we think they're pure in our eyes. We think everything is going to be okay. And we do not seek out The one who knows it all. You see, he's the one that weighs the spirit. The Lord measures everything fairly and accurately. There is no mistake in him. So if there's no mistake in him, why do we not depend completely in him? 
As we read this story here in Samuel chapter 8, personally, I, I saw three markings that stood out in my own life. Markings that allow me to examine, to evaluate on what not to do as I think about my life and my decision making. We see here markings that should make an impact in all of our lives. What do we find in this story? Well, first of all, what we find in this story is a dysfunctional appeal. A dysfunctional appeal. When we go back one chapter, chapter 7 here in 1 Samuel, the context of that chapter, we see that Israel sees the Ark of the Covenant return from home, and we learned about that last week. It had been in, in a Philistine camp for eight months, and God, in a miraculous way, brings that Ark back to Jerusalem. But chapter 7 says that the hearts of the people were still far from the Lord. And Samuel is used to exhort the people to fix their eyes once again to the Lord. In chapter 7, we find these words, prepare their hearts to the Lord so they may serve him only. And so the nation of Israel repents in mitzvah, and, and, and people fast before the Lord in thankfulness. And a national revival occurred. At that same time, the Philistines planned an attack against the Israelites at Mizpah, and the people were afraid. But God promises to fight for them. The people asked Samuel to pray to God. No longer do we see that their confidence was placed on the Ark of the Covenant, but in the Lord. God uses a loud thunder to confuse the Philistines, and in a miraculous way, he gives them the victory over them. And a stone of remembrance is lifted and called Ebenezer, till the Lord, or till now, the Lord has helped us. But sadly, even after all that God had done in chapter 7, when we get to chapter 8, yes, many years have passed because Samuel is older. But the elders of the people decide to force a change. They wanted to experience a new regime. But truly, it would not be a new one. It would only be much of the same. You see, they were already going through the difficulty of a succession with the sons of Samuel, who were a disaster. They were placed as judges in favor of the people. Now, we have to remember that the priesthood was hereditary. But the judges were chosen and placed and their sole function was rescuing the people of God from their misery and providing true justice and peace throughout the land. But the sons of Samuel were evil. That's what the passage tells us. Now, the people before this reality begin to ask for another monarchy. Another monarchy? What? I mean, only people like us could run from one disaster and run right into another one. Why do we do this? Why do we seek out things to happen or come to fruition without asking God for his purpose and his desire? We think our ways and our purposes are pure, but we don't seek him out. We don't look for his purpose. Why? This is what happened to the people here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and nowhere in this chapter do we find that they mentioned God in their appeal. That's why it was a dysfunctional appeal. They wanted something to happen without prayer. And how many of us do the same? We want God to, be, to show himself, to be evident in our lives. We want him to answer our prayers, but we don't pray. 
We don't pray according to his purpose and his will. Just like chapter 4 in 1 Samuel, when the people of Israel took the Ark of the, of the Covenant to the battlefield, believing that by doing this and not seeking God's purpose, this would ultimately give them victory that they sought out. No. What was needed here in chapter 8 is what we see at the end of chapter 7. Total repentance and total dependence on God. The people should have got on their faces and say, God, we're living a mess. We need you to work. But not according to our purposes, but yours. But verse 5 here in chapter 8 tells us truly what was in their hearts. You see, we find in verse 5 these words. Samuel, we need you to appoint a king to judge us. Why? Because we want to be like the nations. That was in their hearts. This is the truth that laid in the intimacy of their own lives. You look at that and you say, Israel, what are you doing? Do you not remember what God has called you to be? It was God himself that in Exodus, Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, he said, Now therefore, if you indeed hear my voice, and if you keep my covenant, you will be for me a treasured possession among all the peoples because the earth is mine. That's what God told them. He rescued them out of Egypt. He gave them freedom so they may understand that they were valuable in his hands. The, the, the two words treasured possession we find in that passage is one word in the Hebrew language. And we know that this, this word segula speaks of a uh, valuable personal property, but also in ancient times was a word used to seal a treaty between a god and a human king, giving that human king total authority on earth. And God says, looking at his people, you will be kings and priests on earth. This was God's design from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, God's desire was for Adam and Eve to be kings on the earth, but to not reign according to their own desires and purposes. No, according to the Creator's purpose, the people forgot. Moses reconfirms this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. He says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. If you know God this morning, if you have a personal relationship with him, you must understand that you're valuable in his hands. Peter, in the New Testament, in chapter 2, verse 9, a passage that we heard over and over again this weekend during the men's retreat. If you didn't go to the men's retreat, you missed out, man. Put that on your calendar next year because it was incredible. Where Peter is speaking to the believers, the Gentile believers in the first century, and he lays out the truth using the same verbiage that we read in the Old Testament, understanding that we are a chosen race, he says. We're no longer Jewish or Gentile. We're one race. If we are in Christ, if we know God, if God is our king, then we are one race. It doesn't matter what the nations do. It doesn't matter what my nation does. God is sovereign. We are a royal priesthood. Oh, we heard about the doctrine of, of the priesthood throughout the whole week. 
uh, at the re- men's retreat. How, how we're called to represent God on earth. And then he says, we are a holy nation, but a people for his own possession. And then he lays out the purpose of why. Why God has done all of this. He says, because we're called to proclaim the excellencies of him who took us out of darkness and placed us in his marvelous light. We are only called to talk about him. It's not about us. It's not what I can provide or what I can provoke. It's him. And God has called us. He has chosen us. He has saved us. He has given us independence and freedom, but not to do what we please, but to do what he has called us to be, to be a light. Why look anywhere else if not in the guidance and purpose of God? May I not stoop so low where in my mind I say to myself, this specific king made of my choosing will protect, guide, and lead me better than God will. You see, the people were, seek, were seeking for themselves autonomy. And sadly, what they lived under was complete tyranny. And this is what happens when I live a life with dysfunctional appeals instead of living under God's purpose. The second thing that I can see, the second marking that I see in this story is the decadence of this people. Israel's decadence was a byproduct of their sinful appetite. Once again, here in this passage, we see the sad cycle of sin that we find all through the book of Judges. In the lives of the people of Israel in the book of Judges, what we find is that Israel would fall into sin, God would allow Israel to fail and to be conquered by other nations. Israel would cry out for help. God would raise up a judge to rescue his people. Israel was delivered. Israel served the Lord once again. And then they would fall back into their own sin. I don't know about you, but this looks like the cycle of my life. We too, because of the same reasons, we love to live this cycle in our lives. Now, the writer of 1 Samuel had the clear goal of showing the correlation between this event here in 1 Samuel 8 to what happened in Exodus 32 with the golden calf. That huge debacle, that, that, that huge story of how the people of Israel, instead of being patient, desired to fulfill their own purpose. It was God that said in verse 8, They have rejected me according to all their deeds from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaken me in serving other gods. Could you see that these are the same words that God uses in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 8? The people of Israel at Mount Mount Sinai became desperate. And instead of being patient, knowing that Moses was God's chosen leader, they wanted to make a king to their forging. They told Aaron, we want it now or else. But what we see here is a sad picture of a people who allowed their sinful appetites to lead them straight to idolatry. And idolatry, friends, is the root from where our sins and transgressions are uprooted. Idolatry begins in the heart yearning, wanting, enjoying, feeling satisfaction in anything else but God. We are all serving a God. Because of it, we are being transformed to the image of that God. 
This is how the people of Israel had lived for generations, guided solely by their sinful appetites and their dependence on their idols. God says, why? After all that I've done, why do you want to live like that? I love what Kyle Eidelman says in his book, God's at War. He tells the story of a friend who was visiting here in the U.S. uh, for some time because he was a missionary in India. And so they were at a meeting with many people, but this friend had many pictures of what God was doing in India. And so his friend began to show them the pictures. And one of the pictures that that, that caught Kyle's eyes was a picture of a living room of a family that his friend uh, had visited. And in the living room, there's a mantle, the main mantle of the, of the living room. And on top of that mantle was an idol. It was the idol of the family. The, the family had chosen that idol from 32 million gods in India. But what uh, caught Kyle's attention was that the couch and the chairs in the living room were all pointing were all angled to that mantle. And so he asked his friend, why are the seats like that? And his friend answered and said, so that anybody who visits and sits in those chairs could be led immediately to focus on the idol they worshiped. So Kyle says, quote, our own false idols tend to become invisible to us. I could probably see yours, but you fail, or I fail to see my own. I'll give you a key. Discover to what are the seats of your heart directed towards, and you will find your idol. But we see in this passage, even though the people were going to choose incorrectly, we see God's compassion and goodness. Because God tells Samuel, Samuel, I want you to tell them what's going to happen if they decide to make their own king. (laughs) If they desire to surrender to their own king, this is what is going to happen. What we see through these verses is God's goodness. And it's interesting, from verse 11 to to, to verse 17, we see a phrase seven times mentioned. And that phrase is, he will take. That this king that they would place before them, the only thing he would do was take. So this king would take their sons for war. This king would take their daughters for, them, for himself and those around him. He would take their fields, crops, animals. Can anybody say taxation with representation? He was going to tax the heck out of them. God says, what are you doing? The people of Israel thought that the answer to their problems was a human king that would give them all they needed. But the opposite was true. And friends, this is how we look at sin. We think the sin or the king that has taken over our hearts is going to give us what we need, but we don't understand. As somebody said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and sin will cost you more than you wanted to pay. My question to all of us this morning is what is it that you have chosen to guide you or in what have you placed your trust in? to give you what you truly need. Is it a relationship? Is it money? Is it a job? Is it jealousy of others? Whatever it is, what this passage is telling us 
without a doubt that if that thing or that king takes the place of God, you will become a slave to it. A slave to it. Decadence in the life of Israel. And I finish this morning with the third marking that I read in this story. What I find in this story is a defiant people. A defiant people. A people that did not want to listen. But at the same time, as I read this passage, what comes to mind immediately is God's never-ending grace. That even through their mistakes, God was going to be faithful to his people because they were chosen to glorify him. We see here in this passage from verse 19 to 22, verses that we read this morning, that the people had no plan to see God's guidance or will. In verse 19, we see these words, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said no. They did not want to continue trusting in God's method of choosing who would lead them. We see it throughout Scripture. What we find is God choosing who would lead his people. Like in Genesis, he, he spoke to Abram, and he said, I want to use you. And, and Abram responded in faith. He left everything behind, and through that obedience, God raised up a whole nation in Exodus, he called Moses, and he said, Moses, I want to use you. I am calling you. Moses, through faith, said, God, do what you please. And he led the people out of Egypt to freedom. In the book of Joshua, we find that God calls Joshua, and he says, I want you to conquer the nations around the land that I promised to give to my people. Joshua was used by God. In the book of Judges, we find men and women like Gideon, Samson, Deborah. God would choose them. He would raise them up. He would give them his spirit, and then they would govern and protect his people rightly. No, not anymore. The elders of the people of Israel in this passage believed that they had a better perspective in choosing who would govern their actions and lives. Now, what I see here in the life of Samuel is interesting. Because even though the people decided not to place God in their equation and chose not to pray... Samuel did pray. We don't know what was in Samuel's heart at the time, but I imagine he was being displaced. He felt horrible of what the people wanted and desired. And where he goes is to pray to God. And God answers Samuel, and he says, Give them what they want. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me for being king over them. Listen, this might be one of the most impactful sentences in the whole Bible. This phrase shows us the sad place where idolatry, selfishness, pride can take us. It takes us to believe in our own minds and hearts that our king made of our own liking is better than the eternal king himself. You might be living this out in your life in this moment. We believe in the inside that what we're planning and what we do and the way we're living is pure, but it's not. All through the history of Israel, kings would rise who would become only men of broken promises, and we'll see that as we study First Samuel. Men who would only take from them, men that would never compare to the true king, the king that would come only to give. No king but King Jesus. And friend, this morning I beg you 
And I lead you this morning to think about your own life and to see truly who is the king of your life. I beg you this morning to look at his grace and the fact that he came to give, even through the rejection towards him because of our sin and our unrighteousness. Christ was born to die and raised to reign. Jesus did not give orders from above. No, he came down to battle against our sin and death. With all the authority given to him by the Father, he has the authority of giving life to all those who believe in him. He gives the victory and allows his kingdom to become our kingdom and Christ to become our eternal king. This is the gospel, the truth, that without him we cannot live. With the team last year in November that went to North Africa, by the way, I'm excited about what God is going to do in North Africa. It's going to be amazing to see what God will do. We had great opportunities of sharing the truth of this king to many, many people uh, of the country that we visited during that week. But you'll see a picture here on the slide. And th this man, his name is King Mohammed VI. And he is the, the king of the country that we visited last year in November. We had the opportunity, I was with the translator that was with us for the whole week, by myself with him. Actually, this young man we met in 2021 with another partner here at West Cabarrus Church that we, we traveled to this country, and it was there where he heard the gospel, and about two or three weeks later, he came to faith in Christ. And so Yassine was with me, struggling with his faith. Listen, these people who come to faith in those unreached people groups and countries, have to pay a high cost of living a life of, for Christ. And so he was struggling with the, the fact of telling others about what he had done and how he had placed his faith in Christ. And so I said, listen, can we go find two of your buddies from school, uh, from your university, and go have something to eat and just talk to them? And so that's what we did. And we went into a restaurant. Now, you see King Mohammed VI, but in every business in that country, doesn't matter what type of business, the first thing you'll see is a frame with this picture. It's to make sure that people understand that the king of that nation is Muhammad VI. And so we sat at the table at a restaurant for about two or three hours. I began to ask these young students some questions about their relationship with their fathers. And, and with that, God allowed us to be able to share about our king. And we began to share about how Christ not having to die in our place. He died. He gave everything. He, he was willing to, to be shamed for me. And as I was talking to these young students, uh, with the corner of my eye, I could see the frame of this king. And I, I don't know what happened at that moment, but I broke down. I broke down. And, and something just overwhelming filled my life. I, I can't explain it, but I just broke down before them. The guys were looking at me like, what's your problem? And I said, listen, only the true king could give you what your heart needs. Only the one who was willing to pay the price that you and I deserved and rose from the dead can fill completely the needs of your heart. That's why as we share this message, it's so important to understand that what we're doing is telling the world that there is no other but him. 
We're telling our neighbors and we're telling those co-workers that there is no one but him. But him. Now, as we read this passage, we're not saying that we cannot ask God for things. But what we have to understand that when we pursue or even pray for things, believing we need these things, many times God does not give them to us. And this is an act of grace. Because he knows full well they, they have become our king. And in other occasions, at times, God gives us what we desperately want. This also is an act of grace. Even though we might not see it, this is an act of grace. Yes, God being gracious to us because God's ultimate purpose through giving us these things is to bring judgment to our lives. Yes, judgment. But his longing... As we read the scripture, his longing, and as we see his relationship with the people of Israel in the Old Testament, his longing is for us to use this judgment as a stoplight in our lives. It is not a yellow light or a green light to continue doing what I'm doing. It, it should be a stoplight. And with our disillusioned and empty hearts we then may come to the complete realization that anything I believe will fill and satisfy me never will. Can I be real with you this morning? God giving us what has become a king we desperately want could be the worst thing that can ever happen to us. This is what happened to Israel. You see, God would give Israel their soul's desire. Chapters 9 and 10, we see the rise of a man named Saul. You see, the people wanted a king just like themselves, so God gave them a flawed king for a flawed people instead of resting on the eternal king that knows all things. We find Saul in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel. I encourage you to read seven, verse seven, 17 to verse 23. And there we find that Saul's appearance was above anybody else's. But Saul was a man who would start well but finish terribly. But to the contrary, Christ, the true king, he would not only start but also finish well. Saul would end up using the people of Israel, and because of his decisions, he would send many to die. Contrary to Christ, the true king, he would give his life so that many might live. Saul was all about himself. And because of it, he was cruel to those who would fail him. Christ to those who would deny him. The true king would die for them. Listen, even through the failures of many kings in the life of the people of Israel, God's grace would be on full display with the coming of the only one who would not fail. Glory to God for the Son of God, Jesus Christ. As the people's hearts we find in 1 Samuel were led towards Saul, my prayer this morning is that our hearts be ushered directly to the arms of our eternal King. May our lives also yell out, no King but King Jesus. May this be true in all of us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, this morning I pray for those who do not have a relationship, a personal relationship with you. May this morning be the morning where they may experience salvation that comes through faith in the true king. And Lord, I pray that your spirit may work in their hearts this morning, that they may realize that whatever they have been using as a king in their hearts, may they give it up and fix their eyes on you. Lord, you shed your blood on that that cross, that blood that cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that you do that in the lives of many here this morning. Maybe some that are watching online that need to surrender their lives to the true king. And for us, oh God, as your people, Lord, we ask you to forgive us. Because we as the people of Israel so quickly change you for things that are feeble we change you instead of depending and living out the purposes that you have called us to live allow us to be a church that tells the nations that there is no king King Jesus. Thank you for this time together. We pray this in Jesus' name.